Hello and welcome back to Government Technology Insider. In today's world, the threat of cyber attacks has become a critical part of any discussion about how to make a robust cybersecurity plan. With looming threats from foreign and other unidentified cyber actors, federal organizations today must work to prevent attacks when they are able to and respond to attacks that occur quickly and effectively. Cybersecurity is not a new focus for the federal government. But with bad actors becoming more vicious, the government is taking a hard look at how they protect their most valuable data. Today, we conclude our conversation with Cameron Sherry, CTO and Vice President of Pre-Sales Engineering at Dell EMC Federal, about the future of government IT and defense cybersecurity. Cameron and I had just finished discussing what Zero Trust means for cybersecurity in the federal and defense IT space, but I wanted to get his perspective on the longevity of the approach and whether it truly could be a solid foundation for a robust cybersecurity plan for the foreseeable future. Well, so let me ask you the million-dollar question then. I mean, when we look at the Zero Trust approach to cybersecurity, you know, how can it defend and secure valuable data for the government and for defense? And do you kind of see this as the answer to government security worries moving forward? I, I do. Uh, I think zero trust absolutely can help in, in a variety of ways. You know, the government, um, I don't think people appreciate as much if you don't work in the environment, just the extent of data the government must collect to be compliant with its own uh, regulatory environment. It's just like any other highly regulated industry, whether you're in financial services and you have a fiduciary responsibility, let's say you're managing a hedge fund, you have SEC compliance you have to contend with, or if you work in the credit card industry, you have PCI, DSS, healthcare, HIPAA, high tech, you know, there's an extraordinary amount of data that has to be checked from a compliance perspective or collected. So what really causes or poses a very unique uh, challenge in the government segment but zero trust, I believe, when you start to really think about a couple of the key pillars that I like to refer to, um, uh, specifically around application trust and data trust, uh, I think it's a good trajectory for us to get on a healthier path with, with government agencies. And there's some very prescriptive tactical things that we can do at relatively low to no cost to the government. As an example, how you do backup and recovery how those backups are accessed, who has access to them, and how do you access those backups? So it comes back to that same people, process, and technology principle. Well, maybe from a people perspective, I only want the backup engineers associated with backup to be able to get access to it. Okay, great. Then from a process, they're the only authorized person or the mission user or system owner is the only person that can authorize retrieving that data from backup. And maybe I isolate that backup off of the current mission or operational network onto its own air gap, uh, either logically or physically air gap network, so that if I do have an adversary on my network, they're not getting access to that type of soft penetration point like data backups. And then from a technology perspective, use things like encryption, just as good hygiene today. And most software today uses encryption everywhere which is a, is a good, safe practice. So I do think doing some of those very simple, uh, simple, practical things that create a good hygiene and good practice that underpin these zero trust strategies is outstanding. I think the second, the, the second pillar when we talk about application trust, I, I've said this in the past and, I, and I'm very passionate about this, 
I think that digital transformation and modernization should be considered a national imperative. Um, I'm not a person that believes, you know, you should create a crisis environment to get people to move. However, creating it as a national imperative will help us focus on legacy systems where there may just not be the best business case from a modernization or attrition perspective, you know, dealing with technical debt, those types of things, it's a complicated conversation. But being able to modernize your applications and rethinking these new security principles that exist in their today's uh, DevOps and Sec DevOps processes that just didn't exist five or 10 years ago, just that modernization strategy alone with a distinct uh, focus on security, which is part of the zero trust principles, I think will help government agencies uh, tremendously when we think about data and more importantly, the applications that access that data. Right. So there's obviously a lot that the zero trust approach can do, you know, for these agencies in the present, you know, there's a good reason why so many people are really louding it and talking about it and they're really fixating on it as like the, the, big, the new big thing. Um, but I guess looking a bit longer term, over the next year, over the next two years, with how the cybersecurity landscape evolves so rapidly, do you see zero trust remaining uh, as relevant today as it will be in the next year, in the next two years? Yeah, what, what a great question, because as, as you very much alluded to, Kevin, in your question, our industry is very much focused on the, the shiny new toy syndrome each year. Because let's face it, most of the industry is based on selling and sales, and we have to kind of create that momentum. I would offer you, though, very much like um, the kill chain principles we've had in, in the days of old when we think of cyber, I think zero trust is going to be one of those emerging strategies and trends that will stay around for uh, quite a period of time. And there's a, there's a few reasons for it. The principles of zero trust when you look at them as a practitioner, they go far beyond uh, just a singular product or technology. It is about changing the thinking of how we think about users in the environment. And I wanna be clear here, Kevin, all users are not nefarious. They're all users that are, are distinctly focused on the mission execution. They have integrity. They have all these things that, that we expect out of the users of these environments. However, user credentials can get compromised, sometimes without the users even knowing. It happens even to the best of us. So it's not a matter of if, it's when. So when you think of principles like zero trust and starting with, let's say, the user community, you know, simple attributes that are evolving are like, let me authenticate the device on the network. When I do that, I can authenticate its hardware, I can authenticate the software, I can authenticate the management of that device, do an inventory on it to ensure that it may not be a dirty device, even if it's a BYOB type of device, bring your own, or BYOD device. That's a little Freudian slip, Kevin. I don't think we're bringing many bottles of anything to work. It's, we're certainly bringing some sort of device. Um, but then when I move to the second pillar, and I think the user trust, you know, there's nothing wrong with multi-factor authentication. We use it in every aspect of our lives as end users today. You know, if you've logged into your banking application recently, you know, they say, hey, thank you for logging in, John Smith. I'm sending your code to your cell phone. Is this still your cell phone number? You put in the additional PIN. It's a very user-friendly way to do multi-factor authentication. And then, as you know, logging into your banking app, it aligns your 
bank uh, number, your account number specifically to use so you don't see anyone else's data. So that, that again, used in a very prescriptive manner. And then when I think of the network um, and session trust, micro-segmentation, encrypting the network itself and just protecting the session using encryption, these are just great hygienic strategies to use uh, to be able to continue to protect the, the network because we know the network typically the adversary's already on it. You know, not even the best cyber operators will tell you, uh, as, as comfortable as I am defending this network, I'm confident that there's an adversary on it. So other hygiene, like not passing passwords in the clear or um, using encryption when you're doing password authentication or password sign-in. So those, those are great things that I think you'll see. Same thing with application trust, Sec DevOps has been a great strategy that's that's come around. And then again, data trust, continuing to focus on <clears throat> how do I protect data at rest? How do I protect it in, in motion? Am I doing a good job of my metadata classification so that I have good data classification and some sort of good at, uh, data loss prevention? I think all of this, when you look at the visibility analytics, the automation and orchestration, and because of the pervasive nature and usage of software defined in the infrastructure today, um, you're really gonna see, I think, a much more rapid adoption of these principles in the coming 12, 24, and 36 months as a direct result of the pandemic proving out that we can move a little quicker than what we may have in the past. We can stay ahead of, not on par with our nation state peers. And we can really get ahead to a security posture that, that makes much better sense to execute just such a great mission, which is you know the sovereign mission of our, our US government. So uh, I think that'll happen on the adoption side. I think on the, in the industry side, you're gonna see some consolidation occur. I think that um, the, the private equity money, venture capital money that's on the sidelines right now will come out and look to consolidate the cyber market. I think one thing is users that we, we get user fatigue in the cyber world is there's always these very point strategic targeted just niche tools that solve a very um, thin problem or very, dis you know, very discrete problem. There's not a broad set of capabilities. So I think a consolidation in the market is going to be extraordinarily healthy. And ultimately, I think it's going to help the user community in that consolidation. So I'm, I'm very excited. I'm always eager. Um, I'm, a, I'm a technology optimist, but I'm very excited when I see you over the next 12 to 24 months. Absolutely. It's the best part about working in this field is that, you know, there's always something interesting and new on the horizon that we can look forward to hearing more about in the future. Uh, but for now, you know, those are all the questions that I had. And I think you, you really answered them all excellently, Cameron. Uh, you know, we got a lot to digest from this and uh, obviously really appreciate you coming onto the show you know coming to bring your insights and sharing just some of the information that you share with us today really appreciate it and you know i hope we can talk again sometime in the future thank you so much kevin i hope the audience found it informative and hopefully a, a little uh, entertaining along the way really appreciate the time and the thoughtful questions please go to government technology insider to learn more about how the latest technology is influencing impacting and improving the ability for government to get work done i'm kevin tierney and until we talk again, so long.